Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. Are you passionate about your professional future but not sure what's next? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business can take your education and career to the next level with its highly ranked working professional MBA. With flexibility to earn a degree entirely on campus, online, or a mix of both, an MBA from Ohio State is more accessible than ever. To get started, visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. All right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. We're back for another week. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. This is, of course, powered by Prospect Live and the mind of Lance Brozdowski, newsbreaker Lance Brozdowski. <laughs> Let's talk about that in the opening because this is like the biggest moment of your journalistic career. You broke the first promotion of Jared Kelnick. I did, yes. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I got to been trying to work on that a little bit. And I, I didn't think that I'd ever like break something I, I honestly thought someone already got to that when i found out um and i like googled or i went on twitter pretty quick and poked around and i was like no one knows wow okay i'm gonna send this out and uh it was funny because i'm not verified or anything so there's a bunch of people in the comments that were like is this like actually happening or are you just like saying this and i was like you can wait and for someone else to confirm it it's happening like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna wait you know what i mean so i picked up a ton of followers on that which is i appreciate a lot if anyone's listening and is also a follower thank you stick with me what'd you jump up to I'm over like uh, 4,150 now. I'm like, I cut up like a 50, 50 or 60, I think, from that tweet alone. Because it got picked up by, I think, one of the Seattle people. So, uh, but yeah, he's up in IA, man. He's killed, uh, he's killed A ball. And Mets fans are, are uh, very sad, I understand. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's still really young. It's one of those things where I know he's hitting well and he, he's got a beautiful swing and everything, but still only 19. It's going to take some time to develop. Like, he's a 2021 ish debut guy. He's not going to be up next year. It's like, Take, take a deep breath. You know, these guys, these guys take some time to develop. I don't know if he's like this generational talent that everyone else is saying. I do think he's like a top 30 prospect probably right now, which is, which is an endorsement. But, uh, but otherwise, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's I right mean, in that window. I, and it's funny because we'll talk about this year's rankings a little bit we later will, in yeah. the show. I guess I'm, I'm jumping off the outline here a little no, bit don't later. Worry, don't worry. But, um, Matt Thompson and I, who did our first year player draft ranks over on, uh, on prospects live, um, 
we were talking a little bit about looking back on last year's ranks, maybe some things we would do. Matt was like, I think I would rate Casey Mize number one, where I, you know, I, I love Casey yeah. Mize. We'll talk about that. He's still a pitcher in a dynasty league, and it's not like it was like an immediate impact where I know that we had Kikuchi there because, like I said, I thought Kikuchi could come right into a rotation. Sure, yeah, yeah. He had the and, yeah, exactly. And give you, you know, some, and I, I think people kind of forget that like when there's literally like almost zero risk on a player, it's, it's pretty hard to argue against that guy. Now, granted, uh, Kikuchi hasn't exactly been great. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He's rocking a, a mid fours FIP. Uh, so maybe that was a bad pick, but you know, <laughs> I, I think my process was sound on that. Um, but we were looking back and saying that, you know, he said he'd take Mize one, I, you know, I'm I'm hard pressed not to still go after Gorman. I think Kelnick moves up a ton. I'm not yeah. pushing India down that much. No. I'm not pushing Larnick down that much. Xavier Edwards is still. I mean, I granted he doesn't have the power that maybe the OBP skills are still, Yeah, but the OBP skills, the on base percentage, the steals. He's made a tweak apparently. I think Emily Walden might have tweeted that out, or was that you? It was, that was me. Yeah, yeah, I had was that. It you that he made, that he made a tweak in yeah, his. Uh, he started his, sliding head first, actually, which he hadn't done exactly his entire right. career. Which is one of those things when you hear, you're like, "What?" Like I was talking to him about this, and he was like, "Yeah, I just never did." And he was like, I, "I'm pretty sure he just he's outran everything." He was literally that fast. It's what the coach said. He's the team caps coach. Never had, he never had to slide head first. Literally, literally, which is insane to think about. Like that's 80 speed. He's he doesn't get he doesn't have to slide head first until he hits a ball. That's what 80 speed is. Like Jesus Christ. Like that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's a great line. That's a great line. He didn't have to. <laughs> 80 speed is not having to slide head first until a ball. Yeah. Until full season ball. Um. But, you know, I think there are some guys that probably get, you know, shook up a little bit. I'm still pretty confident in my Horner pick. Um, I think guys like Victor yeah. Victor Mesa probably should have been dropped down a lot more. Yep. he's uh, and, and, and we dropped him down, I think, to like eight. Yeah. And there's just a, a longer there's just a longer development path with him, I think, than what we thought. And, you know, some of these younger guys at the top of the draft were, were pretty good. And mm-hmm. uh, there's been a handful of college hitters that have been pretty solid, too. So, yeah, I, you know, it's just kind of funny looking back, you know, maybe almost a year now from that draft and how things have developed and the players that have kind of stood out. And, you know, w- one player who obviously did well in low A, but Alec Baum, you know, I yeah. I had him one. I had him one a year ago. And now I'd be hard pressed to have him in the top 10 still, even when he kind of, uh, you know, redeemed himself a little bit this season. But yeah, I mean, it's funny to look back a year from now. Um, yeah. Cause the numbers are still good in, in high. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't looked at him in like two weeks, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's funny how much things can change. I have to say though, I think that this draft, that's probably not going to be the case. Let's get into that in a minute. Sure. First, let's talk about a couple of guys uh, that were recently called up one that I've seen in person, so yeah, make the only reason I knew who he was was because of you, Ralph. <laughs> I know. I have to say, like, and I did the twins list too. I think he was like back half or honorable mention or something. But I like to say, I like to say that I I, uh, I put him on the map. He was in the Arizona Fall League, and I don't think anyone even realized it. Um, yeah, I did not. Wow, Devin, Devin Smeltzer. Yeah. Smeltzer. That's who we're of course talking about. The other guy is Zach Plesac. Uh I've seen Smeltzer. Uh, I watched Plesac pitch the other night. Um, Smeltzer is interesting. We'll start with him first. Um, kind of an interesting background. Uh, did you realize he was a cancer survivor? No, but I heard that on another yeah. pod. They said they should like check out his backstory. 
and I was like, oh, I will. And then I, I think I Googled it, and yeah, I mean, props to him. This is unbelievable. Like, yeah, child, just, childhood just cancer nuts. survivor um, has a connection with Ch- Chase Utley because he grew up in the Philadelphia area. Um, huge Utley fan, and then he was originally drafted by the Dodgers. It was, I think, traded over uh, last season. And um, I think, like, you know, his opportunity to kind of meet Utley again, there was some part of Utley was somehow involved in that process post draft because they knew what the backstory was. Mm. Um, and then I think his mother might have tweeted out a picture of him, um, like, uh, uh, with Utley, like, getting an autograph with, like, you know, some other, like, make a wish kids or whatever it was. But love it, love it. Um, it's kind of, you know, I think that for me, when I hear those kind of emotional backstories, the same thing with like an Austin Shenton uh, and everything he's gone through, you know, leading up to the draft. Um, I, I, I feel like an emotional connection to those players a little bit more. I know that's kind of sure. lame. No, I, agree with you, man. Yeah. I didn't know that about Smelter when I saw him. And I, I, I'll say this. He is a complete underdog to begin with. Wacky mechanics. Um, I know I talked a lot yeah. about his, his glove hand and sort of how it's almost until you know, his weight transfers to his right side that he even tucks that glove hand in really long arm action, but he just got so much movement on everything, but he had movement and he was able to sort of hit all of his spots. You know, William Rosario was behind the plate that night when I saw him and he's not a great catcher and, but he's guy's been in the majors. He didn't have to move his glove much. And I don't think that was William Rosario's elite framing. <laughs> I think it was the fact that Smeltzer like, was just up down in the zone. I mean, he was just a guy that was, you know, moving all over the zone, changing eye levels um, and doing it with, you know, three or potentially four, because he's got a variation um, pitches that he can all throw for strikes. And, you know, the velocity band isn't huge between his fastball, which tops out at like 89 or 90 um, and really sits like, 87 88 a lot of the time especially after the first couple time first time through the lineup mm-hmm. uh, but he's so efficient he throws so many strikes i mean that night i think he cruised through seven innings and under 100 pitches so that kind of goes to show you what kind of yeah. night he had but i think he's capable of that do i think he's like a number three or a number two absolutely not i mean i think that like his ceiling is a number four he's a backhand starter but he's a guy that can maybe give you 180 innings with a low four era and you know, probably somewhere about like a 23 to 24% strikeout rate if everything goes well, but a really low walk rate. So it kind of offsets it. Um, I think he's a valuable guy. He's just not sexy. And he's probably for fantasy purposes, not sexy unless you're in like a 18 team league or some sort of a head to head format points, what have you, where every pitcher is relevant if they're getting starts and they don't give up five runs a game, you know? Yes. I, I think, I think the takeaway for me is that, he doesn't throw a lot of fastball, which I really like, especially in this day and age. But the other thing is that he works in, like, these three separate velocity bands pretty pretty nicely, like 83 on the changeup, and then I think he was, like, 90 on the fastball. And then he's like, that's curveball slow. And with that, I think you get some accentuated movement. So you have a guy who's throwing slow with a ton of movement, and it, that's just not what you see a lot recently. Like, we're getting guys like Granky and Hendricks now who I feel like are popping because they're, like, weird, and they're throwing slower than everyone else is throwing, you know what I mean? They're not really elevating as much. And I almost feel like hitters are struggling more with them. I know Greg got beat up today at home against the Mets. But but overall, like, Smeltzer is weird, you know? Like, I, I did not expect to start at all from him. Like, I honestly expected him to get beat up pretty bad, I'm going to say. Like, if I had to predict, I thought he would have gone, like, three and given up, like, four and just not been able to look at and stuff. But, like, these good command guys with a ton of movement, man. Like, I don't know. Maybe the strikeout rate is never going to be that high. But, like, if he could end up being, like, a peak 
like really good K per nine, or excuse me, not really good K per nine, really good walk per nine, like sustaining around like two, two, five, and then be like an eight K per nine guy, seven K per nine guy. Like you could, you could end up being an above average starting pitcher with like a four ERA like that. And that is valuable in the present day, especially if he's like a four, man. Like this is a really funky, funky player that I, I enjoyed. Lots of weak contact. I think that's a yeah, big part yeah. of it. And I think one of the things that he's able to do is he's able to, because of the movement on his pitches and the fact that he hits all of his spots, he's often able to put hitters in positions where they think they can hit a ball and they try to drive it. And, you know, they either end up, you know, topping out on it or getting two under it and, and, you know, flying out or mm-hmm. they pop out or they hit a crappy grounder back to the pitcher um, there were so many balls that night that didn't leave the infield. And there were a few guys or a handful of guys in that Pawtucket lineup there, you know, like former fringe major leaguers, but they're guys that have gotten major league time. So they're not the worst of the bunch. Right. Um, he was really interesting. Yeah. I, I, uh, he's a guy I root for. He pitched against Schwarren that night who also got called up, but he's not starting right now. So we won't get into him. We've talked enough about Schwarren the last two years as well. Um, mm-hmm. the other guy is Zach Plesak. And I'm interested to ask you, if did you, Happen to catch this start at all? No, but I'm actually seeing his start tomorrow against the White Sox. So I unfortunately will have more kind of thoughts on him then when I get to see him work. But but he's interesting. I mean, he's change of dominant, which I, I like to some extent. I always like guys with a little bit of a change of feel because I just feel like in this day and age, it's very easy to kind of make yeah. your breaking ball better. But um, yeah, he's, he's slider and curveball separate. Um, seemed like that curveball is obviously kind of a early count pitch and then slider later. I, I didn't get to see much of this start. The results were he's fine. Really he's another command yeah. guy. He's another command guy. So I mean, we're, we have, we're leaning off the show with two command guys. What would you say? He's got velo though. He does, which which Smelter doesn't have. Yeah, he's like 93, yeah. 94, I think, right? He popped, yeah, he, he popped 94, 90, 94, he popped 90, I think he popped 96 twice. Mm, uh, okay. And that was on StatCast because I went back after the start, and I'll take a look at it just to see if the gun was hot in the TV, which usually it isn't with MLB. But mm-hmm. from time to time, it can be. So, um, yeah, he's a guy, I guess, that, like, you know, obviously – MLB bloodlines, you know, who his dad is his dad's on MLB network, Dan Please stack. Um, but he's, he's a guy that I believe had Tommy John surgery and has come back throwing harder since the surgery. So maybe that's something mm-hmm. to watch. I grabbed police act in a couple of like 18, 20 team dynasty leagues. Cause he was widely available. Cause he certainly wasn't considered a prospect or much of one coming into the season. And he's really interesting. And the Cleveland Indians have, a pretty good track record of developing guys like this and watching the stuff tick up Bieber, Clevenger, Kluber Mm -hmm. guys that are a little bit off the radar in terms of pedigree. And then they're able to take them into the program. The stuff ticks up They teach him how to sequence, whatever they're doing with sequencing. I mean, even Trevor Bowers, his best days have been in Cleveland, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. No, they they definitely have that. That's a question for Bauer. What is <laughs> yeah. it about Cleveland that's been able to help all these guys, you know, take another step when they were sort of underappreciated by uh, the prospect community and evaluation scouting community at large? There's yeah, a question. That, that is a good question for him. <laughs> I might bring that up. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I might actually ask him about Plesak when I get a chance. I was, I, this is dating to a conversation me and Ralph just had pre pod about me talking to Trevor Bauer, which was a lot of fun. So uh, I think I'm going to try to catch him tomorrow again. So. I will maybe bring up what he thinks about Plesak because I'm sure he's going to have thoughts because he's very tapped into like the rest of that staff more than yeah. like I honestly think most pitchers are to the rest of their friends in the rotation and stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, he, he there's been stories. I think uh, Zach Meisel of the Athletics wrote some great stories about Bauer and Bauer and Bieber's their relationship in terms of like learning and stuff and developing pitches and, and whatnot. So, uh, so overall, I mean, it's, it's it's yeah, I'm excited to talk to him and I will definitely bring up possibly this Plesak kid and see what he thinks. 
So he's the, so you're saying Trevor Bauer is like the anti Zach Greinke. He doesn't go into a room <laughs> and be like, don't throw the ball down the middle of the plate. The, the stories of Granky in that book by Molly Knight, the, the best team money can buy, are just was some of my favorite baseball stories ever. Like, Granky's just a, a goon. I love him. I love him. I love guys like that, man. I love guys who dedicated. What's your favorite Granky story? We're totally getting off topic, but that's fine. What, what's my your favorite, favorite Granky story? story was the one uh, in the book. It's in the book. It's talking about like they just were coming off a loss or something like that. And uh, everyone was like really down and, and whatnot. And they had like a team meeting. And, uh, and Granky, like in the middle of the team meeting or after the team meeting, stands up and just completely like irrelevant to the whole conversation about like them losing and needing to step things up. He just, he says something like, uh, "Hey, you guys are walking around the clubhouse or walking around the shower without sandals on, and it's really gross. And if you could stop, that'd be great." And just everyone died laughing because they were just like, "Dude, that's like it's nothing to do with anything we're talking about." I don't know if that was specifically it. There's probably some details here I'm mixing, but I, it's something like that. It's something like where he was just so out of the out of left field with what he was saying that everyone just died. It was it's a great. He just seems like such a crazy person. I love him. I love I love guys like that. Nice. All right, we've gotten the prospect call ups out yeah. of the way. Draft time. Some MLB draft talk, and then we'll uh, we'll hit on five pitchers at the end that we're kind yeah. of excited about for this season so Correct. far. Yeah. Two months it. into the season, we're taking some inventory. Who are the arms that we want? We're going to start mm-hmm. off, though, as you said, with uh, some MLB draft talk. The draft is on Monday. I cannot wait to hear Harold Reynolds make mistakes <laughs> and hyperbole. Maybe he'll call, uh, I think he called Connor Scott uh, black last year. I hope that happens again. I <laughs> oh, hope my God, I forgot about an athletic, that. <laughs> an, athletic, an athletic outfielder for a <laughs> that's white oh, for a God. black guy. I'd love to see it. It's my favorite thing. And uh, I, I hope they never take them off of the broadcast just because it's excellent entertainment in addition to everything else. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Um, <laughs> Lance. Yes. Talk to me. Talk to me about the All draft. All right, yeah. I'm going to I'm I'm talk you through this. So, yeah, you're, you're clearly the one that's been tapped in. We were just talking, again, another pre-show conversation just about – I feel like me and Ralph are almost like the antithesis of each other right now. I've been so tapped into the major league side and some of the minor league side. Ralph's definitely been more tapped into college baseball, especially with like the regionals going on this weekend and stuff. And, uh, um, and the draft specifically and all the stuff we're doing at prospects live. So I, I guess I want to ask you some questions mainly. Um, and we'll tailor them towards like kind of the fantasy side of things I think is the most obvious. I think we should probably not talk too much about Ali Rushman because he's amazing for the most part. Everyone thinks he's going to go on one and he's good and he'll fly through the system and, He's like best of both worlds. But I do want to dig into an individual that I, I, we were talking a little bit about may drop a little just because of the profile. And I know this was a story that I think someone wrote on The Ringer, and I believe Eno touched on it, and possibly at Fangraphs they touched on it. Just how the game has changed in terms of the use of players. A right-right first baseman like Andrew Vaughn seems like is he's getting discounted purely because there isn't much room for him to play other positions. I did hear that he was playing third. He took balls at third, I think, for the Marlins. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I guess they're trying to maybe see if there's some infield versatility there or something more outside of just him being a right-right first baseman. 
Um, so I want to talk to you because I know you're really high in him, and you, you said that this is one of the best combo hit powers we're going to have in the draft and possibly even on like prospect lists when he hits a prospect list when mm-hmm. he's eventually eligible right after the draft when you kind of slot all these first-year player draft guys back into the overall crop of top 100. So, Ralph, should Andrew Vaughn fall? How much of a stake is it if he does? I think that if he falls beyond three, <laughs> honestly, like every team that doesn't take him has made a mistake. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those. You know, um, this is one of the most prolific college hitters in the history of college baseball. Um, he was in a lineup that really didn't have a whole lot of protection this year. So they avoided him, and he still put up big numbers. Um, there's power, there's contact, and it's just the approach. It's just eye at the plate. You know, the, the, the guy just knows the pitches that he wants to hit. He rarely expands the zone. He rarely chases on anything. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I know he struggled a little bit with the national team for like a month or so last year, um, is what it is. But, uh, Mm -hmm. overall, I mean, that he's just had a ton of production and I think that it's from a surprising package because he's a, he's a six foot, maybe sub six foot guy, you know, maybe he's six feet, maybe he's five eleven, somewhere around there, Mm -hmm. 210 pounds. Um, you know, it's, it's not a crazy athletic body. It's a little boxy. Um, though I, I had a conversation last year during the Cape Cod league with a Yankee scout about it. And his thing was like, you know, this kid's athleticism is better than people give him credit for. Like he's an excellent first baseman. He's a good hitter. You watch his movements at the plate. Like, you know, maybe he's not like a, a, a plus runner, but sometimes it's more than that. And he was a shortstop in high school. He pitched a little bit too. I believe it was actually up to like 87, 88 is what he had said. He was in an interview with uh, the MLB pipeline podcast this week. And uh, yeah, so he was a shortstop in high school. Um, he's an excellent defensive first baseman. I think you could probably move him to left field. Maybe the foot speed would be an issue. I just don't know about the throwing arm. I didn't see Andrew Vaughn throw a ton. That's one thing that I can say pretty clearly that I don't know a whole lot about with Andrew Vaughn is what the quality of the, the arm is. But for me, like if, if you're looking at a guy like Blade who maybe can play the outfield, but that's a big outfield in Miami. It's one of the reasons they've been going after speed guys for years. And I'm just not so sure that, Blade is a great fit for the outfield. He's going to have to play the left side. And really what's the defensive value there. If you're moving a guy out to left field and you don't think he's going to be a plus left fielder. Right. And it's kind of, for me, the same argument with green, because it seems like a lot of the tigers people and a lot of the smoke with the tigers is that green's going to go there. Uh, I mean, can you imagine if Andrew Vaughn drops to seven and the reds are like, all right, I guess we're just going to take Joey Votto's replacement. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And And he's like like 15 K 15% walk right out of, right out of uh, (laughs) Cal. You know, maybe, maybe it's hyperbole. Maybe I'm a little bit too high on the guy, but I wouldn't say this about anybody, but him and Adley. And I don't think that in the previous seasons, I would have said this about him or Adley, but I mean, anyone, but him or Adley, but I think these are guys that, could play in double a like pretty much right now. I mean, that's what Nico Horner more or less was. Um, and I just think the, the, the baseball skills for both of those guys are so advanced. that There's just not a whole lot. They're going to learn in the lower minors. They got to get up the upper minors. They got to see a ton of advanced pitching. They got to see bullpens that have guys that throw 95 and hundred and can throw strikes. Um, you know, guys that have maybe had some major league experience guys that are just good fundamental ball players. Um, 
that's the kind of stuff they're 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 going to have to run into, in my opinion, because I don't think that a ball is going to be much of a challenge for Adley or for Vaughn. Vaughn being a first baseman, I'm going to guess he probably touches Double A pretty quickly or quick more more quickly than than Adley does. But for me, it's it's just tough because the bat speed is immense and his plate discipline is just next level. There's not a whole lot of flaws in his game. Um, even as even if you want to say he's got short arms, he's still six feet tall. He covers enough of the plate that he could touch something on the outside and drive it with his barrel. I mean, that's not, that's not a problem. Um, barrel control, great hands, strong wrists, just from a pure hitter standpoint, there aren't many guys I've seen besides Vlad that I thought were as good as Andrew Vaughn. And I mean, this is, I've been saying this now for a year. I've been saying this since the first time I saw him, because if you see how quick his bat moves, it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you kind of don't get over that. It kind of sticks with you for a long time. And it's, and there are a lot of guys that have improved their stock that I saw in the Cape last year that weren't standouts, guys like Hunter Bishop, um, Logan Davidson, who had pretty much the worst Cape you could possibly have. He had the worst batting average among, among qualified hitters, had a lot of mistakes in the infield. He was a much better player this year at Clemson. Um, mm-hmm. Guys make improvements. Guys guys get better. So for me, if we're talking fantasy, um, much as I like Adley Rushman, and I think he's a generational guy at catcher, I'm still going Andrew Vaughn number one in a first-year player draft if I own that pick. Oh, that's huge. I like that. And I want to jump into some of the high schoolers now. We have, I think, five of the for top eight on the Prospects Live Top 50 2019 MLB Draft, which everyone should definitely check out, frontpageprospectslive.com. Five of the first eight are high schoolers here. So Bobby Wood Jr., obviously shortstop projected to go to the Royals right now at two. Uh, Riley Green, who we have at four, projected, I, I think, for the most part, to go to the Tigers out of Florida High School. Um, then we go to C.J. Abrams, shortstop uh, from Georgia, Corbin Carroll, center fielder from uh, Washington, and uh, Brett Beatty, third baseman from Texas. So out of these five, for a fantasy league, do you think any of these guys are actually going to be able to move quick enough to have like a, a, a nicer impact, say, than like one that's going to have to sit in the minors for three or four years? Uh, it's always tough with these high school guys, and it's tough based on where the organization is mm-hmm. at the point that they could be called up, right? Because – I think we could agree last year with the Blue Jays, a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who was ready for the major leagues at 19, probably didn't get the call because of the organization that he was in. I mean, I think if he was in a different system, you know, a team that was competing and they needed a guy to play third base or DH, it's a solid chance he gets called up. Now, that being said, I think that there are some high school hitters here at the top of the draft that could move pretty quickly. Um, Bobby Wood Jr., you know, He's prestigious. I think we know what the track record is. It's funny because he's a high school player, and I feel like he already has prospect fatigue just because people have (laughs) heard about him for so long that there's a lot of people arguing that, like, you know, Witt's too old. He's going to be, he's going to be one of the older, like, high school prospects and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, he would have been a top 10 pick last year, if not top, like, five, right? So, so give me, we could kind of throw that out the window. Um, power speed the ability to stick it short an excellent arm got that from his daddy um bobby witt jr is the truth he's he's a guy that i think could probably move pretty quickly but we'll see i think there's still some hit tool issues there which might be a question riley green is the opposite riley green is not a great defender he's not a standout anywhere he's not a not a he's a below average runner um i shouldn't say he's not a standout anywhere but just in terms of the peripheral skills outside of the bat this guy might have i've you know we've seen 70 hit tool kind of bandied about with this guy 
it's a plus hit mm-hmm. tool. We'll put it at that. A lot of folks feel he's the best pure hitter in the draft from a contact standpoint, and that he will develop more power as he uh, ages. Part of that might be him adding a little bit of bad weight as well, which is some of the concern with him defensively, which is why I don't understand the conversation around green at five if Vaughn is there for the Tigers. I know you like him, but if Riley Green is what Andrew Vaughn is now in two years, you're going to be pretty happy with that. Really, you're going to think that's a pretty good outcome. So just, just take the guy that's already there and don't worry about it. But Green is an exciting talent. Um, anybody with that sort of quality of hit tool at that young of an age is a pretty special hitter. Um, you know, but there's always a little bit of bust rate kind of mixed in with these high school guys. Abrams, I don't think will be a fast mover. I think Abrams is going to take some time. He's going to add some power. Um, he does have a nice swing from the left side, very line drive centric. He's a good fielder in some ways. Um, Abrams is is has a little bit of Royce of Royce Lewis feel to him, and uh, somebody else said that to me, and I kind of was like, the more I thought about it, I was like, that, that's a good comp. That kind of makes sense. And we know we like the prospect, the prospect comp here on the Prospect Podcast. So very much so. There you go. And then the last guy that I'll I'll sort of mention, um, oh, I guess Beatty actually too. Um, Corbin Carroll yeah, is Corbin Carroll was potentially the best all around player. I I, I think that he may have sort of the highest baseline of tools where I think there's some hit tool questions with, with wit, but I think that his, his, his skills and talent are sort of off, off the charts. Carol's not a big guy, but he's hit for power. I mean, when he was, I think he was tied for the lead in homers and slugging on team USA last season. Um, I think for whatever the U 18s or U 19s. Um, so he's a guy that can hit for a little bit of power. There's a hit tool there. He's probably the best defensive outfielder in the draft. And he's coming from a smaller school. He, you know, he's coming from Lakeside High School in, in Washington State. And uh, Washington State has some good ball. They have some good ball players, but it's not like California. It's not like Texas. It's not like the Carolinas or Georgia or Florida, right? There's just there's a good scene, but it's just more of the higher end of the middle of the pack, as opposed to these elite, elite talents. He's played in a lot of tournaments, obviously seen a lot of uh, high end pitching as well. But I think what that means is in some ways, he's almost like a quasi cold weather kid that there might potentially be some more upside um, in Carroll than what we've seen. He's an excellent athlete. And I think one of the things that sticks out to me, I don't know this personally, this is stuff I've heard secondhand, seen the scouting reports, but he's a gamer. Um, you know, real energetic kid almost has like an Alex Bregman type vibe that he just wants to win and do whatever he can. He's sort of a leader on the field. And when you see that kind of quality with an 18 year old and he has a five tool, um, profile, that's a pretty special guy. And, uh, yeah, I, we have him at seven, but I, I, I think there's a case that, he may end up being the best prep player from this class. And that's crazy when you consider a guy like mm. Bobby Woods there and he's pretty special, but um, just as an all around like war guy, right? We're not talking fantasy, but just an all around player. Carol might end up bringing the most value uh, from year to year, just because of all, you know, the fact he could be a plus defensive center fielder that can hit and, and lead off, be a lead off hitter with a little bit of power. You know, I think what you're, you're dreaming on with Corbin Carroll um, in terms of like the high end, high end, high end, like, you know, he maxes out, uh, it's probably like a Mookie bets, you know, that's really what you're mm-hmm. looking at as a superior athlete, you know, with 
the defense, the ability to maybe change the positions, do whatever he has to do just because his athleticism is that good. He's going to be able to pick stuff up. Uh, Brett Batty is a high school uh, or prep prospect out of Texas, third baseman, big raw power, was one of the top sort of two-way players in the class as well. He's not going to pitch. He's, I think he's only he's going he's gonna to move forward as a third baseman. Uh, that's where teams want him. But I think he was uh, Lake Travis is actually closer and is up to like mid nineties in the mound. So there's a gun there at third. Um, I think the thing with him, you know, versus Tyler Callahan, who's the other sort of mashing third uh, prep third baseman in this class is uh batty is probably going to um, stick at third base where they don't necessarily think that's the case long-term for Callahan. He doesn't really have a position. Um, yeah. I think there's, 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 power there's contact there's good approach he's just a good natural you know uh hitter i mean just everything comes across he's got great hands um good bat speed strength leverage uh and he's gone deep off of some of the bigger prep arms in this class i know for a fact that he's taken matthew allen deep which i don't think allen's given up other than maybe a handful of home runs his entire high school career so that says quite a bit but yeah, he's probably the, the tops from the Texas class, and uh, he's a very talented player. There's a lot of good Texas prep kids in this class, actually. And, Ralph, give me some thoughts on the trio of pitchers that we have, 10, 11, and 12. Seems like it's a relatively interesting mix here. Kirby seems to be this exceptional control guy who I've heard a variety of comps to pick any control pitcher in the major leagues, and that's who I've, I've kind of heard. And then Alex Manoa is massive uh, and seems like he's a bit of a workhorse. Then you got Brendan Malone, who's kind of this athletic high schooler. So these are three very different guys, and we have them back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So... Um, do you think that maybe the ultimate reward on all these guys is pretty similar or do you think it's like super high floor Kirby, super high upside Malone? Like, give me, give me the spiel. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the upside here is probably Manoa and Malone and Kirby's more of the safe pick. And I can kind of tell you in the background, I ranked this list with, um, Anthony Franco, Tom Musa, okay. um, yeah. college guys, of course, Kyler Peterson, um and matt thompson and the way this is ranked out is um tom and and i and anthony really like alec manoa so he ended up 10 (laughs) we like kirby a little (laughs) bit less that was matt's favorite guy kirby ended up 11 and kyler really stumped for for brennan malone because he's seen the most of brennan malone where obviously it's a little harder for us i'm getting that stuff secondhand with a a lot of these high school guys it's more like diving deep on research talking to folks that have seen them with some of these different events um, where a guy like Kirby and Manoa, we see now we are obviously the low men on um, Lodolo uh, JP probably would try to try to crucify me for that. Uh, I know that of <laughs> course, of course, Lodolo pitched really well for TCU today. And as soon as they pulled him out of the game, they, <laughs> the, the tie, the tie score was actually broken and they ended up losing to Arkansas mm-hmm. um, and Manoa didn't pitch all that well. But I think we've seen the track record throughout the season with Manila, and I just believe in the three-pitch mix a little bit more than I do with Lodolo, and I think that there's a little bit more upside there. Um, even if he's like a high-end back-of-the-rotation, uh, excuse me, back-of-the-bullpen type of reliever that's used for multi-inning you know, instances or end, ends up being a closer, um, in this day and age, that may actually have more value in real life and fantasy than like a number three or four starter. Like a guy that's that's just a you know a decent starter, but not anybody that's gonna you know um, keep an ERA like you know 
under three and a half. And if Lodolo goes to the Reds, which it sounds like it's a foregone conclusion, then he's probably going to go there at seven. Mm-hmm. If Lodolo goes there, I don't know how much I love him. I feel very, he's very heavily uh, reliant on two pitches where I feel like Manoa will break off that change up a lot more. Was using it consistently throughout the big 12 conference play uh, from what I watched. And then you look at Kirby and he has, secondaries in his slider and changeup, in addition to a 92-95 mile per hour fastball that he spots he's got two secondaries that flash plus they may be settle in more as an above, above average pitches um but the fact that they sort of flash plus i think is a little bit of a difference maker for me and then you know when you look at a guy like malone he you know he has that workhorse body but he mixes that with athleticism he's got a super fast arm um the fastball the velocity's kind of been all over the place, but his fastball velocity grew throughout the season, which is kind of what you want to see, right? You don't want to see a guy's fastball velocity tank. You want to see a guy that's maybe 89 to 91 in his first couple of starts and then is able to tick it up to the sort of low to mid-90s with consistency. And I think that Malone, for me, is the guy that I would probably um, place my bets on. And even within this group, I know that we have Bryson Stott breaking them up, but... Um, I'll steal your thunder a little bit. I think Jackson Rutledge and Zach Thompson are in that group as well. And, and, you know, of course, of course, you know, lighter we have there, we have Matthew Allen and we have Lodolo. Um, so there's a lot of arms here. And of course, this is a, a scouting list and not a fantasy list. So that would probably be reversed a little bit were we to do the fantasy list. Rutledge to me has the most potential upside, huge, huge velocity, you know, upper 90s, big frame. He's got a change up. He's got a, you know, a really nice swing and miss breaking ball. Um, command issues a little bit, but there's kind of a little bit of like the Nate Pearson feel of like this big specimen with a nasty fastball uh, coming out of the coming out of the you know the junior college ranks and potentially jumping in, outperforming a lot of these D1 guys. And I think that's Rutwich is in that group. I think he he may have the most upside of any of these guys just because it feels like there's a little bit more untapped potential. Uh, Thompson's kind of safe, uh, lefty. Of course, I caught him last year in the Cape. Um, his fastball velocity from what I saw in the Cape, it was 91 to 93, has ticked up even more. He's been touching 97, sitting 94, 95 with consistency. Um, you know, he's got a couple of good breaking balls. He's got a changeup that has that uh, – that that knuckle curve grip or whatever that we we picked you picked out in the bullpen video that I had sent over to you last year oh, if you yeah, remember that from where I am. That's Thompson, man. I love the balance. Great uh, back leg drive. I really feel like he gets good extension, good push, uh, and he's able to translate that well, you know, through his body and uh, and and really get you know everything out of his stuff. Um, decent amount of spin. I haven't seen the spin rates, but he does get good movement, but it's not out of control and it's something that he can't control. He gets relatively deep in the games and he's you know, thick and kind of has that in- innings eater body. I like Thompson too. I think there's, there's a, a mixed grab of a bag of, of sort of arms at the top of the draft here that you could pick any of them and sell me on why you think they're the guy that should go first. And you could probably make a pretty reasonable case. 
when we get a little bit back into the rankings, somewhere about 65 to 80, there's a whole chunk of projectable righties and six foot five lefties that that's amazing (laughs) there's all these like super tall lefties it's crazy high school guys college guys some of them are control lefties some of them are power lefties but there's all these guys that are over six foot four and throw left-handed i'm like where did all these guys come from how come there's nobody that's six feet tall um yeah it was uh it's 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 kind of a funny draft this isn't it's weird because I feel like we say a, a draft isn't deep or it's not that good. And then we look back three years later and we're like, wow, that actually was a good draft. And that one we thought was good. Yeah, wasn't yeah, good. That's a good point. Like, you know, it, it's so much is about where, what, which players go to which teams that if we yeah. have a draft where players fit that players, that organization style of development, maybe the one thing they do well, that changes the outlook tremendously. And, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I won't do my first year player draft ranks until players are in organizations and we know where they're signing or potentially where they're going to end up. But um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And I want to maybe finish off this segment right here because I think we're running a little into it right now. But I want to finish this off with just going like two or three guys that you really like that are maybe not talked about as much. I'm just going to give you three guys that I've liked for a while that now that we're kind of deep into this, I'm interested, honestly, to see you to hear you counter my thoughts on why, or just them as players. So I'm a fan of Jack Leiter. I love the pitchability there. I love everything JP said about him. I really still like Cameron Misner from Mizzou, 6-4 lefty. He's tooled up. But I, I, you guys wrote, and I, I think I've heard as well from others, that he struggled in conference play, and there's a lot yeah. of questions about his hit tool. And then I'm still like Stan on the Reese Hines, who is this massive right, right, um, a third baseman who's just got stupid raw best prep. I think we say best prep uh, raw power, but he's got uh, severe hit tool concerns, obviously. So give me the reason why maybe to go against these three guys. I figured we'd spin it in that way instead of going positive. <laughs> Confuse you a little. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the thing with Reese Hines is uh, the swing and miss is just a concern, and we're not so sure that he's going to be able to stick at third base. That's a concern. Where does he end up defensively? So we got a guy with some defensive questions and some hit tool questions that's going off of that raw power. Okay. That said, I really like him as a fantasy right. player because that raw power <laughs> is really exciting. Um, Misner or Meisner? For some reason, I thought it was Misner, Meisner. Maybe it's I'm Misner. Sure. One or the other. You know, he's a big boy. Um, ton of, I mean, like, he's got double plus raw power. He's got plus speed. He's a very good defensive outfielder, but there's some hit tool questions. And, you know, maybe that limits his upside ultimately. You know, if this guy can maybe be like a 2015 guy that plays a really sturdy uh, or, you know, above average center field and can play the other outfield spots because he has the arm because he's a pretty big guy at 6'4", but he has the arm just to move over to right. Um, you know, maybe he's just not that exciting. Maybe he's just like a second division regular type with a little bit of pop and a little bit of speed that gets us a little bit excited, makes some highlight plays on defense, lives, wins a lot of web gems, but <laughs> doesn't, doesn't necessarily translate to superstardom. And that's kind of what we're always looking for with fantasy. It's a guy that can pair the power and speed and hit enough to make it all relevant. Um, once again, though, I'm, I'm not that negative on, on Meisner. I was just, uh, I'm kind of looking for something here. Um, all right. Who was the other guy that Jack you threw out there? You said Jack Leiter. Um, you know what the you know what the problem is with Leiter? Leiter stuff wise has been fine. He's been a little bit all over the velocity. Like some, there was 
constantly what happens is these guys go to perfect game and these events and they throw one inning and their fastball is sitting 96, 97. <laughs> they're up in relief roll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone reports that. And then they go and see him and they're like, Hey, it was 91 to 94. It's like, no, that's what he always was. That's what he always was. You just looking at the high end of what the velocity reports are. So I think that kind of hurt his stock a little bit. He's a smaller righty. It seems like there's so much size in this draft with a lot of these arms. But the biggest knock is his signability concerns. Mm. Everybody thinks he's ended up on campus at Vanderbilt. Supposedly, he has a list of teams that he will play for. The only team I am aware of that is on that list is the New York Yankees. (laughs) I'm going to probably go out there and say it's probably the Yankees. Perhaps it's the Mets. Maybe it's the Phillies. Yeah, um, big, probably big he, markets. L.A. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then I would say if he's going to leave the if he's going to leave the like the 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 New York New Jersey area, um, yeah, it would probably would be L.A. You know, maybe a Houston because of what their player development is. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad, his dad's plugged up, plugged in enough to the game. Um, That's a very that, good point. I was, you know, actually, he, yeah, yeah, he knows what's going on, right? Yep. he's got good advisors this kid if this kid ends up on vanderbilt there's a, you know there's a reason for that and i'm okay with that if he ends up going that route i think that's perfectly fine because he's a guy that's probably though it's funny because one of the, the things that kyler and jp both said to me in separate conversations both of them saw lighter at different points mm-hmm. was that i think this kid could move really quickly for a high school arm he's that advanced hmm. in terms of his pitch ability that's saying something so sure. um maybe Maybe the Yankees get bold. They take he's still there at 30 because no one else thinks they can sign him. Or he won't sign with anyone but like three teams. And the Phillies don't want to take him at 14. And the Yankees end up getting a decent deal on him. And they already have a pre-arranged number because it's the Yankees and it's like, you know, he's a wealthy kid that went to Del Barton and lives outside of New York City, grew up outside of New York City. So how bad could it be? Right. So um I like Lighter a lot. Yeah. I think that uh it's hard for me to knock it. I think it's just the signability concerns constantly sure. sort of plague these guys. You know, it's the same as like all of a sudden we started to hear knocks on like Kumar Rocker and some of the guys that didn't sign and then ended up getting pushed down. Though they were all right about Nader to say this, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I remember Nader. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I saw him today. He's on FSU. He faced yeah, he Emerson. Yeah, he singled off of Emerson Hancock, potential number go. one pick in the draft. Yeah, Hancock didn't look great today, man. He looked good the first time through the order, and then the second time through the order, he started to get hit a little bit. It was uh, a little depressing. I think I think I put the bad juju on him, man. I don't know. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, let's finish off the show, Ralph, with our standard 5 by 5 but we're going to spin it and do only pitchers and only pitchers we're excited about. Um, or guys who just want to talk about. I don't know. I have a couple guys in here that I just want to talk about. I don't even know if I'm particularly excited about them. Uh, one of them that I am pretty excited about, and I think everyone else should be very excited about, is Mackenzie Gore, who is just dominating the Cal League right now. 38% strikeout rate, a 5% walk rate, 202 FIP to pair with a 117 ERA. His, his numbers are just stupid right now. They're absolutely stupid. And the craziest thing is, like, I've been using Steamer, I think, a little more this year on Fangraphs, just to reference where they think guys' projections are going to go. Mackenzie Gore is still 19, or is he 20? Okay, he's 20. He turns 21 in next February, so he's just recently 20. And Steamer is saying right now that at the major league level, he'd be, like, almost a a 9K per 9 guy with, like, a 4-4 ERA, which is insane for them to project him like that out of high A. I am uh, thoroughly impressed with the debut in high a i think it's also one of those things that i don't want to say i saw it coming but 
I've talked to him a couple times, and he's very, very steadfast that last year was a very odd year in terms of the injuries. And even with those injuries and those oddities with the finger and the blisters and this and that and this first season and full season ball, et cetera, he still posted like an 11 caper nine with really good command, just gave up a lot of runs, much higher year in FIP. And since that point and since seeing him in the times that I saw him, I was always very in on him, and I always had him, I think, in that kind of top 10-ish window. And this just solidifies it. I think right now that he's almost pushing more into the argument of being the top pitching prospect in baseball after what we've seen shoulder-wise with Forrest Whitley and stuff. I probably still have Whitley one. I'm probably still going Gore two. Um, but Gore's performance and high A has been unbelievable. And I, he's got to be up at double A in the next month or two is my guess. Like, I don't know why they let him throw another 40 innings in high A if he's dominating this much. It's not even, it's not really hard for him. He needs to get up to double A. I'd love to see him in double A as a 20 year old. So that's my first one. We can keep these kind of short, Ralph. But uh, yeah, no, and I, I totally there. agree. I totally agree with you there. And that's a that's a guy that uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to catching at some point. It's probably not going to be until uh, you know I eventually make it out to the Arizona Fall League, and hopefully it's the year that he's there. So yeah, it's going to be hard. It's hard for me to catch some of those guys here on the East Coast. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy that you've gotten some uh, some live looks on. Mackenzie Gore and we got uh, Chad Bomber, some of those dudes out there in California too, getting some videos. So that's fun to see. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with another guy I've talked about before. I caught him for the second time this year. I'm essentially following him around like he's the Grateful Dead, and that is uh, <laughs> Casey Mize, right-hander for the Tigers. Um, yeah. Once again, when I saw him, he was phenomenal against a much stronger Hartford lineup. The slider was so dominant. That pitch is great. Um, the sinker is good. Uh, I saw, I, you know, I actually, excuse me, the sinker, um, <laughs> the splitter, uh, I actually thought this, I, the splitter, which crazy to me about that is he can manipulate it and kind of work it to both sides of the plate. If he wants to, um, I thought he broke off a couple of cutters that broke the opposite way from his slider, but I'm guessing that might've actually been him manipulating, uh, the splitter, um, some velocity there, you know, it's kind of at the higher end where he throws the cutter of, of his slider sort of velocity band. Um, it's just the fact that he can mix all of those pitches so well. He can locate the fastball up in the zone. He ate up Colton Welker, who was the best hitter on that team. You can go back. Uh, I think I released my live looks. I saw him on the 20th of May. So we're about, what, two weeks removed from that now. Yeah. But I had uh, I had released this post, um, I think, the beginning of this week. I think it was one of the last live looks we did. So maybe it was Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. Uh, you know, I got some other guys in there. Kyle Wright, uh, Husker Yona, Patrick Weigel I caught as well. Um, but Mize, like I said, was the most dominant. And, you know, it, it's funny because I saw, I saw Pearson a few days later, a week ago today, actually, uh, I saw Pearson for one of his two inning stints and he did not look as good against that lineup as Mize did. Mize just, it's funny, the Mize, the first couple of innings for the most part struggled a little bit with the fastball command, but once he found it, uh, you know, he just dominated. And, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to be the sexiest number one in the league, but I think that he's going to be one of the most consistently good number ones in the league. I mean, he's not going to maybe have an 11K per nine. It's not going to be like a 30% strikeout rate, but it might be like 26 to 27 with like a 4% walk rate and a sub three ERA for several seasons. And I, I think that he has the ability to do that, whether he wants to spot that fastball low in the zone, high in the zone. And it seemed like 
in comparison to where I saw him pitch against Palm Beach, which, which I think the numbers aren't bad, but they're a relatively, um, you know, unsophisticated sort of approach and lineup, very raw. You're talking about a high A team. Um, it seemed like he was like heavy, much more heavy on the fastball where, it, you know, this time it looked like he had a book on these guys and he went after these guys with scouting reports and there was a game plan that might've been the catcher as well, but it just seemed like a different Casey Mize. It was even better than the first time I saw him after those first two innings, he just got into a groove and I think he retired like eight of the next nine or something like that. And the one, the one guy was like a, a blue pit. And I think he actually was thrown on at second base, trying to take two bases on it. So, um, mm. he was just excellent. I didn't have an opportunity to get back and, and watch Manning, uh, but I had been to four games in four days. So I think if I went to five to five, I probably wouldn't have been married any longer and had a place to live. <laughs> so I was just trying to keep a roof over my head. So I, I didn't catch Matt Manning the next night. I also had a game with my son actually is what happened. I forgot about that. So um, unfortunately wasn't able to catch, catch Matt Manning. Maybe I'll be able to catch him again. I think I might catch these guys again in Toledo. And it would be kind of funny to see Casey Mize start in, three different levels in the same like four or five month period. It would be, that'd be hilarious. He's ready for triple a. He did it again last night. He's had a couple starts since I saw him. I know I ran really long on this one, but no problem, no problem. it's Casey Mice. It's Casey Mice. I'm not going to talk <laughs> as much about the other guys. No problem. I'll go quick. I'll combo up to, I'm going to go Zach Gallen, who I don't think we've mentioned on the show, Ralph. Yeah. This kid is decimating. Yeah, we, have. we have maybe briefly. Early. Yeah. yeah early early on. I mean, his, his game log is just, astounding at triple a especially when you have like rabbit ball now juice ball in triple a he's been unbelievable he's just seven uh his last 11 starts he's got 88 strikeouts over 74 innings uh he's gone six or more in all but one start this season and that start he went five and two thirds and kate six so it wasn't even a bad start he had one kind of weird five earned start um in the cubs triple a in like may 19 so the day before um you were just talking about may 20 He's just been stellar, and I mean, I, I know that they've had Urania and uh, Alcantara in that rotation kind of pitching well, but I don't think either of their success is as sustainable as something like Gallons is where he's missing bats and generating a lot of ground ball. So he's really interesting. I can't say I've even seen much too much tape of him. For me, he's fallen under the rug for the most part, too. I mean, I, I, actually, I don't know much about this Marlins system, um, and I just didn't know much about Gallon, but the stats are unbelievable right now, and the command has improved so much that it's – he clearly did something in the offseason in terms of honing his mechanics or something because the stats are unbelievable and they project out really well. So he's a guy that honestly in like redraft leagues, I, I would be, try to be stashing. We were just talking to TGFBI pre-show. He's a guy that I would probably spend some money on uh, as a call up when he gets when he gets pulled up. I, I drop a couple like 150, 200 on him, I think, if I need some starting pitching. Um, and then the other guy I want to talk about is Joey Cantillo from the San Diego Padres. Um, a kid I've talked to him multiple times. He's a really good kid, really smart. Um, Really fun. I learned that he throws a he throws a Vulcan a grip changeup, which is cool. And he we were talking a lot about that and how that friction is something that he think helps him a lot in terms of turning over his hand. Um, so he's a lefty with a changeup and he's changeup dominant. Uh, he had a little bit of a funky start to the year where he gave up I think three or more runs in his first four, and then uh, he had a he's had a really good five game stretch now. I think the other night he threw a five innings K to eight. Um, only two walks. So in the in his last five starts, he's thirty three Ks over twenty six innings with only seven walks. It's a nice like. Five, four and a half, five 
um, K to walk there. And uh, I really like him. 0.680 array there. He's pitched really well. Um, he's really young, really projectable. He's a big kid. He's 6'4", 220. Um, he's, he's only like 91-ish right now, but his goal by the end of this year is to hit 95. And what coincided with this little uptick in his performance is actually the fact that he's he stopped throwing his curveball as much, which is one of his player development things this year, was to throw his curveball more. So they took that away from him and were just like, go fastball change, work up, down. And he's pitched really well. So he's got to incorporate it back in, and I think that that's going to be a big thing. Like, when he does that, how does he pitch? But um, he's a, definitely a riser in this Padres system. I think I had him as an honorable mention in my top 30 for prospects live, I'd probably bump him up a little and kick him into the top 30 now after this performance, but still a ways off, but he's a guy that I definitely want to keep tabs on. So uh, hit me with two guys, Ralph. All right. I'm going to hit you with my last two here. Uh, one is actually, you know what? I'm going to go with the two guys that saw a pitch on opening night Cool. and in, in uh, the minors up in New Hampshire. And apparently these guys, I should have uh, had my camera ready because I didn't have my camera yet. I was like a week or two away from a good <laughs> one. So um, I'm, Hoping to catch him again. Anthony Kay, left-handed pitcher, obviously from UConn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was a first-round pick of the Mets a couple years ago. Had Tommy John surgery. He's come back now. He has an unbelievable changeup. Mixing another secondary. The fastball was 91 and 93. He gets tons of swing strikes. He hits his spots. Works pretty quick. I like Kay. Uh, he looked good that night. And he was opposing Patrick Murphy, who is another guy uh, who's kind of popped up onto the radar this year. Um, I think really the beginning of the breakout was last year. He has been absolutely phenomenal this year. Um, and he's a guy that kind of has been a slow burn. Uh, he was a third round pick from the prep ranks in 2013, still mm-hmm. only 23 years old, going to be 24 actually in a few days. And he has been excellent uh, uh, in double a, the ERA is just under four, 3.99, but the FIP and the X FIP are 3.30, 2.94. He misses bats. Um, you know, mixes, a, a, like I said, a midnight a fastball, um, a couple of decent secondaries there. I like the breaking ball. Yeah. I think, I think Murphy is one of these guys that, uh, you know, potentially could, could pop up onto, um, radars and and you know in dynasty leagues and all of a sudden this is a guy that you know pops up as a mid-rotation guy and we didn't even realize it he has the size um he got over thoric uh, outlet syndrome um he said tommy john so he's had a couple of bad injuries a couple of surgeries he is on the 40-man roster for toronto um there's a ton of strikes works up in the zone a lot uh, you know, like I said, the, the curveball is actually the, the, the best uh, secondary that he has, and the changeup isn't bad as well. Um, he was cre- he's great to watch. He's a guy that I'm definitely rooting for. Um, and I'll also say, if you're looking for a relief prospect, this is the last guy I'm going to say, Lance. Yeah. Check. I'm friends with his dad, Tim McClellan. What's up, Tim? If you're listening, caught up with him and uh, Eric Cross last week at the game. We all sat together and chatted about some prospects. Uh, Jackson McClellan, MCC. L E L L A N D. He throws a hundred miles per hour consistently. Um, he's added some shape to his slider to the point that his father thought it was a splitter when he threw it uh, and struck out Dustin Pedroia a few weeks ago. And so <laughs> he sends me that in DM and he's like, how cool is it that he struck out Pedroia? Which obviously is like awesome to hear a dad say that. Right. And, uh, he's like, I thought that was his splitter and it's his slider. He's like, how insane. disgusting is that? Yeah. 
Um, and one of the things that was funny talking with him a little bit about a guy, he was a guy that worked down in the zone a lot. Cause he's a bigger guy. Uh, Jack's like six, four. Now he's throwing high. And his dad was like, your whip is exactly the same. Like whether you throw low or you throw high, it's just funny that, you know, you switch that and talking a little bit about, you know, the mentality of, uh, obviously trying to tunnel pitches and, and, uh, you know, combat launch angle and guys that are good low ball hitters. So, um, it was just an inter- interesting conversation that I had. I don't talk to players, but I'm in the stands hanging out with their parents, apparently. Hey, that's just as good, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, send the people off, Ralph. We're good. We're going to cut it. <laughs> All right. This has been another long one, but we owed it to you. It's the uh, the Razzball Prospect Podcast for another week. I am Ralph Lischitz. That is Lance Brozdowski. Follow us on Twitter. Send our family roses and chocolate. We'll see you another week. <laughs>